I'm Kate Hills and I'm on a one-woman mission to save UK manufacturing. Welcome to my podcast where I invite you to join me each week as I shine a light on some of the very best British-made brands and UK manufacturers and offer advice to those that want to make in the UK. But before we get on to today's episode, I just want to tell you about an event that I've got coming up. If you're interested in discovering UK manufacturers and British-made brands from the fashion, textiles and homeware sectors, you should definitely come to our trade show, Make It British Live. Taking place on the 29th and 30th of May 2019 at the Business Design Centre in London, we've got over 200 exhibitors inspiring talks just like the ones on this podcast and it's the perfect place to network with others that want to see UK manufacturing thrive. Registration is now open and if you go to mib.live forward slash podcast VIP I've got a special something for you when you register. I hope to see you there and now let's get on with the show. Hello and welcome to episode 40 of the Make It British podcast. Episode 40, gosh, how did I get to episode 40? The time seems to have completely flown by and I can't believe that the subject I'm going to be talking about with you today, I've only just come to do because I want to talk to you today about not only why my Make It British Live trade show came about, but how it came about and what you can learn from some of the mistakes that I made, but also some of the successes that have come about since I launched the event. So don't switch off if you're not an events organiser and it is of no interest to you, because I think as a small business who started out as something completely different and then evolved into an events business, I think there's something that everyone can learn about this, about how things can evolve as you go along and how things that you set out to do right at the start can completely change due to various turns of events. And the reason I'm talking to you about this today is because last week I put up a video on LinkedIn about how I was really struggling to actually put on this year's event, how the event nearly didn't come about for its sixth year and what the challenges about putting the actual event have been in the past few years and particularly in the last 12 months. Now, I won't go into all those details here. I will put a link to that video which I did put onto LinkedIn and it was also on the blog of Make It British. I am overwhelmed with the amount of support that I've had since I posted the video. In fact, I put it up on Saturday morning, just, you know, thinking maybe a few hundred people might see it. And at the time of recording this, which is six days, five days later, less than five days later, I think we've had nearly 10,000 views on that video. And hundreds or 200 even comments from people saying, no, don't stop doing the show. So I thought what I would talk about today was how the show came about in the first place. And for those of you listening to this who don't know what I'm talking about with Make It British Live and the show, I actually um, 
run a trade show called Make It British Live, which you would have mentioned at the beginning of this podcast. And it is a gathering of 5,000 um, visitors from all over the world who come to my event in London once a year to meet 200 UK brands and manufacturers and also to listen to very inspiring talks from those who manufacture in the UK. And we're about to put on our sixth event in, I think it's 10 weeks from the time of recording this, but it all might not have actually happened if things had taken a slightly different turn. So how did it all come about? Well, in 2013, I was approached by a couple of guys who were working in the events industry, they were doing various sort of operational and sales roles for a big events company. I didn't know them from Adam and I won't give you their names, but they contacted me and they said they were thinking about um, putting on an event for British fashion manufacturing. I think a friend of theirs had given them an idea and their friend had worked in the fashion industry, but they didn't. They worked in the events industry. And They'd had this idea, but of course they knew nothing about British fashion, British manufacturers or anything like that. And they'd Googled UK manufacturers and of course Make It British came out top um, of the Google search. So they contacted me and they said, hey, we've got this idea for an event. We know how to run an event. You seem to know all of the manufacturers. Shall we do it together? So always open to ideas and I get a lot of people contacting me all the time with various different ideas that they have for things to support UK manufacturing both in the UK and overseas and I'm always opening to listen to suggestions that people have and potential collaborations and this one sounded good because you know I'd been thinking about there being a need for a trade show where people could go to find UK manufacturers all in one place because there wasn't such an event. And I was speaking to a lot of the manufacturers who, when I asked them, they were saying the only way they were finding new customers was either through word of mouth or via my website or by my referrals. So I'd been thinking about putting on an event, but the biggest event I'd ever ran in my life was my husband's 40th and that only had about 100 people in our back garden. And so I didn't know where to start with running an event. So I said to these guys, right, I'm open to have a discussion. Let's meet for coffee. And to cut a long story short, we met for coffee. We agreed to go into business together. We set up a partnership. I paid for a legal document that cost me several thousand pounds to um, agree to our partnership and to the company that we'd set up. And I put down the deposit and a rather hefty deposit, a five figure sum on a venue to host, host this event because these guys, they had all the ideas, but they didn't have any money. So I invested uh, a lot of money. It was my family savings and I didn't even tell my husband that I had done it. So I invested all this money in this venue and it was all looking good. And we were planning this event and I was telling manufacturers and people that I know I'm going to be running this trade show and I'm going to be selling stands and we're going to have a great big conference. It's going to be fantastic. And then just before Christmas, literally, I think it was about Christmas Eve, six months, less than six months before the event was about to take place, and these guys pulled out on me. So I was left with either losing all my money 
and telling my husband that I'd spent the equivalent of a very luxury family holiday on something that wasn't going to happen. Or I was going to have to pull together this event, which I told everyone about. And somehow, some way, knowing nothing about running events, I was going to have to be able to make it happen. So not wanting to be someone who (laughs) ever fails at anything. And, you know, if you believe in yourself and you believe in the people around you, then you kind of think somehow, some way I can make this work. So we started out in January 2014. Um, I roped in a couple of people, a friend who worked in PR, another friend who was a friend of a mum at school, um, someone else I found on website called People Per Hour, where you find temporary staff. And somehow between us all, we managed to cobble this event together in in five months, basically. And that event turned out to be our first ever Make It British event, which I rather uninspiringly called Meet the Manufacturer. Amazingly, we pulled the event off. Um, We had Mary Portis as the keynote speaker. She actually got in touch to offer her services to speak for free at the event because she wanted to support UK manufacturing. We had 200 odd people at a conference that was on for two days as part of the show. And we got, well, we'd originally planned for the conference to be the main part of the show and that there would be just a few sort of stands for manufacturers that wanted to kind of be in the kind of lobby area as you walked in. But as it turns out, once we started reaching out to manufacturers and saying that we're doing this show and, you know, we've got, you know, I've been sending you some business via Make It British or this is a chance to meet a lot more of those people and people that want to find UK manufacturers. So do you want to take a stand? And so having originally planned to have 30 manufacturers at this show, we ended up with 56 at the first show, which we got within just the five, four, five months that we were pulling the show together. So it turned out to be more than 50% of the share was taken up by the, sh- the trade show space. Now, the other thing, as well as not really knowing how to plan for how many people were going to come and exhibit the show, we didn't know how many were going to attend. And the biggest problem that we had was that the venue we'd hired had no toilets. <laughs> and you can't have an event with no toilets. So we had to hire portable toilets like you see at festivals and stuff. That's fine. That was straightforward. Apart from the toilet providers wanted to know, on average, how many people we expected to come each day to use said toilets. Now, when it comes to organising an event and registering people in advance, and if you've never run that particular event before, you don't know compared to how many people have registered, what percentage are going to turn up. And all you can go by is what industry standards, event industry standards are. And because we weren't event experts, so we only kind of have got asked a few people, I think maybe we possibly even asked the venue and a couple of other people that worked in events. You know, roughly, if we've got, you know, two and a half thousand people registered, how many people are going to actually show up on the day? And most people said, oh, 20 to 30 percent, depending on the weather, you can expect 20 or 30 percent of people to turn up. Okay, so on that basis, we thought we would probably get about, 
800, seven or 800 people to the show. So we told the toilet company that we would have probably 400 people a day using these toilets. Well, actually, as it turned out, it was a very, very sunny day on the 11th of June 2014. And the show had an incredible turnout. In fact, not only did nearly 2000 people turn up for that very first event, but because Mary Porters was the first speaker on, it felt like most of that 2000 turned up in the first 10 minutes. <laughs> so we not only had a queue round the block, and I'll put pictures of the queue um, on the show notes for this podcast. So not only did we have a queue round the block, we also had a toilet situation. And my poor husband, the one who I never told about the fact that I'd um, put a family savings down on this venue, um, who'd offered very kindly to take a week off work from his architecture job to help out at my show, actually had to be the poor person dealing with the block toilet when all of these people turned up to use these portaloos <laughs> that we had hired. I don't think he's ever quite forgiven me for that. Um, and not only did we have a situa toilet situation because of the amount of people that turned up, but we also had a registration issue because when we only thought there was three or four hundred people turning up each day to the show and a lovely UK label manufacturer called Sobar, um, all credit to them, a chap called Phil Achurch, who owns the company, he had very kindly offered to print everyone's badges using his label printing system on registration in exchange for me um, announcing him as a sponsor at the show. And shout out to Phil and everyone at Sobar for the incredible work they did trying to register everyone and the thousands of people that were turning up. But of course, the machines didn't print that quickly when we had that many people turning up. And um, Phil and his team were used to printing labels for garments and not badges for events. So between the boys from Sobar and my friend of one of my mum, Sue, who helped out on the desk and my husband and a load of safety pins to pin labels on people because we ran out of lanyards because we hadn't bought enough because we didn't think so many people were coming. Um we had, yeah, an almighty queue on, on the front desk. So although we trended on Twitter for um, for the show, I think Meet the Manufacturer trended on Twitter that day, most of the tweets were about the queuing in the scorching sunshine because I think it was also about 80 degrees in London on that day, queuing to get into this show. So the whole thing really could have been an utter disaster in terms of logistics. And you can see when I explain that why. If anyone listening to this has actually watched the Netflix um, documentary about, it's called Fire, F-Y-R-E, about the chap who's tried to put on a massive festival, music festival in a, on a Caribbean island and it all went disastrously wrong and he had no water and no toilets and no accommodation for anyone. I watched that and thought, oh my God, there, but for the grace of God, go I. Because although ours wasn't on the scale of his one and we weren't trying to put on an event on a Caribbean island, it was just in a small warehouse in East London. At times, it felt like that, like the the 
you just wanted it all to be over, really. But aside from the toilets and the registration disaster at the show, the whole thing was declared a massive success. You know, we had more than twice the amount of visitors turn up that we thought would would turn up and more than twice the amount of exhibitors. The exhibitors that came to the show all gave us fantastic feedback, said it was amazing for finding new customers. And it, in the end, it made it all worthwhile and it did all pay off, albeit it didn't pay off financially for me. At least I didn't lose my husband's and mine family savings. And I think I did take a little holiday in my uncle's caravan in Norfolk, after the show. (laughs) So that was the first event in 2014. And I have to keep thinking back about that event and reminding myself that although we're 10 weeks away from the show now, it will all be worthwhile. (laughs) And that it is worthwhile because I know that the outcomes that the people that come to the show that they actually get, the manufacturers, the visitors that come to the show to find the manufacturers and the brands that make in the UK, those that come to listen to the talks. I know I'm building a big movement of people like you who listen to this podcast, who come to the shows, who want to see UK manufacturing thrive. And that really is what it is all about. And there's never been a better time for UK manufacturing to thrive, I don't think. So that is why I know it will all be worth it in the end. And I also think if you're listening to this and you are thinking of doing something, maybe you work for a big company and you're thinking of taking the leap and doing something different, or maybe you are a manufacturer yourself and you're not quite sure as to what the future is going to hold. And you're thinking of maybe diversifying, launching your own brand as well as making for other people. I just think, just go for it. You can always find a way. If you believe in yourself and your idea and what it is you're doing, then I do think that it will always work out in the end. Other people will believe in you. And that is certainly what has happened with Make It British and with our event, which is now called Make It British Live, is it wouldn't have all come about if those first few people that got involved in the event, that came along to an event that they'd never heard of, who paid to take a stand or for a ticket to the show at an event they'd never heard of. If those people, and I thank each and every one of you, if you're listening in right now, then we wouldn't now be in our sixth iteration of the show. We wouldn't be about to welcome 5,000 people through the door to the Business Design Centre. And 200 British manufacturers and UK-made brands would not be able to come to our show to pick up all of the hundreds of new customers that they come to meet every year and all of the business that is generated for the UK manufacturing industry. So I hope you've enjoyed this episode. I hope it has made you chuckle if you were one of the people that was at that first ever event and you tried to use the toilets. I I have to apologise to you now, but I can assure you that the Business Design Centre has fantastic toilets this year. So it's well worth coming just for that. And I also wanted to give a massive, massive shout out to Sobar, who are a label manufacturer in Leicester, who ran the registration for us at that first ever show. And that didn't put them off. And now they're coming back to the show this year for their sixth year. And they're staying as far away from registration as they possibly can. 
So I hope you enjoyed this episode. This was episode number 40 of the Make It British podcast. And you can find all the show notes for this episode at www.makeitbritish.co.uk forward slash 040. And if you'd like to register to come along to Make It British Live, then go to makeitbritishlive.com forward slash register. I hope to see you there. Thank you for listening to the Make It British podcast. I make an episode every Tuesday and Friday, plus there's also bonus episodes occasionally. So don't forget to subscribe in your favourite podcast app so that you get notified every time a new episode goes live. And if you enjoyed the show, I would really love it if you left me just a little review on iTunes. The more reviews this podcast receives, the more people will discover it and the more we can spread the word about making in the UK. Thanks once again for listening to the Make It British podcast. Bye bye.